Well, as I said, um, every year we set aside this month of September to focus on something that is very dear to the heart of God, and therefore it should be central to our church, and that is missions. And because there are many components to a church missions program, it's always critical to begin by understanding what our motivation is for missions. And the greater understanding of why God desires the nations to be reached, well, the greater will be our motivation to see that brought about. You know, from the beginning of time, God purposed to bring glory to His name by gathering together a people who would worship Him as we read in John 4, in spirit and in truth. And they would do so because of the mercy of God that has been received by them. You know, to confine the worship to just one people group is insufficient. It must be the worship of a people composed of every color of skin, every language of man, every ethnic group in the world. Why? Why is that what God desires? The people of the world are are so divisive and diverse, excuse me, diverse. There's a lot of division too. And it has to do with our diversity. You know, we have so, so many reasons to dislike and disagree with one another, don't we? We have so many little things in common, whether it's amongst our languages or our cultures or our values, and yet there is one common need amongst all the peoples of all the nations. We all need mercy. We have all, like sheep, gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We are united in our rebellion against Almighty God and therefore we are united in our need for His mercy. And this is the theme. This is the theme that unites us and then brings our voices together in unison to praise the name of the Lord, our God, who is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. How great is His name. How worthy He is of our praise. We see this, for example, in Romans 15. Turn there really quick. This is not our text, but I just want to show you this in Romans 15. Beginning in verse 8, he says, I, Paul says, I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth. That would be the Jews. On behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, but the word is nations. I will sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice 
O Gentiles, with His people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise Him. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. See, Christ became a servant to the nations because He desired God to be glorified amongst all the nations. And in the same way He told His people to be a light to the nations, Christ also extended now to His church the command and the privilege to participate in the gathering of God's people from the nations. He told His disciples, He said, Go and make disciples of the nations. He's commissioned us to tell the nations of the mercy that God offers them through Jesus Christ so that they will be united then in their praise to God for His mercy. And to bring this about, God formed a people for Himself through whom He would work. It began with one man. It began with Abraham. He communicated His desire to redeem people from all the nations and all the people groups. And in His covenant with Abraham, God promised that He would extend His blessings upon all of humanity through Him. In Genesis 12, He told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He reasserted this in in chapter 22. He said, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. See, it's God's desire to bless all the nations of the earth, which he says it will be through the one who is the descendant of Abraham. Now, now from Abraham's descendants, God then brought forth the nation of Israel. And although Israel was God's specially chosen people, he maintained his plan to exalt his name among all the peoples of the earth. God is, is not subtle about this desire in the Word. We see it all over the Scriptures. Just, just a few examples. Psalm 9 says, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples His deeds. Psalm 96, which I just read, Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Isaiah 49, he says, It's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In Isaiah 66, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come, they shall see my glory. I will send survivors from them to the nations and they will declare my glory among the nations. And so this morning, I'd like to turn our attention to one particular example of where God is declaring His plan to exalt His name to all the nations. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. And in this psalm, the psalmist calls upon God's people to ask God to bless them so that they might make God's way known in all the earth and His salvation among all the nations. 
leading to their joy, bringing forth the praise of the peoples of the nations. You see, it's God's expectation. It's God's expectation that His people not only understand God's desire to extend His salvation to the nations, but also to be the means through which He extends His grace. He desires the nations to come to know the goodness of His salvation, that they might worship Him, they might joyfully submit to His rule, they might join in with the worldwide chorus of praise to God for His great mercy and goodness. And so let's read this psalm together, and then we'll pray. Psalm 67. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on the earth, Your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For You will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its produce. God our God blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. Let's pray. We come to You now having been recipients of Your great blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's in His glorious, wonderful name that we approach You, Almighty God, with the request that You would bless us in all the ways that You choose so that we would then see that the nations would know You. Let us not be stingy with Your blessings. Let us not be self-centered and self-focused with Your blessings. But let us be outward-focused. Let us be ones that You choose not to just bless, but through whom You choose to bless. Let that be our desire, God. As Your Word proclaims this, as Your Spirit enforces this lovingly and gently to our hearts, may You be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as you can see for yourself, this this psalm here, it expresses the desire of God to be made known, to be praised, to be enjoyed, and to be feared among all the nations, which is why the psalm has appropriately been referred to by many as as the missionary psalm. But this desire for the nations to be converted, it begins here in a very it begins in a very personal way with a focus on God's blessings on your life. As one of God's covenant people, the psalmist asks for God's blessing here on his life. And now, if that was all that the psalm was about, God bless me, right? Then it would be right in line with the very American bless me God version of Christianity that seeks to sanctify covetousness and greed. And it basically says in an absolute contradiction to Jesus, oh, you can serve both God and money. But see see here that instead the writer asks God for His blessing so that He can be a means of God's blessing. 
as H.B. Charles put it, he said, quote, he wanted to be a channel of God's blessing, not a terminal. A river of God's blessing, not a reservoir. A pipeline of God's blessings to others, not a faucet into his own house. He wanted to be blessed and to be a blessing. And this church is what God desires you to desire. He wants you to desire what He desires. He wants to bless the nations. He wants to bless the nations through you. Why? So that all the nations would unite their voices in praise to God for His mercies. The title of this message is A Zealous and Willing Heart for God's Glory Through Missions. A zealous and willing heart for God's glory through missions. And there are three ways that you can apply Psalm 67 to your life. You can first of all seek the blessings of God in Christ. Pray for the conversion of the nations. And then thirdly, desire God to glorify His name through you. We'll look at each one of these. So the first application Right out the gate of the psalm is very clear. We are to seek the blessings of God in Christ. He says in verse 1, this is a sanctified prayer put in Scripture as a model, as an example, and an encouragement to you. And it begins with God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. And the key to understanding this request, though, For God's blessing is to see it in the context of the whole psalm, which is what I am seeking to do this morning. So the psalmist is showing us something that's very important about God. He delights to bless. God delights to bless. He's gracious. He's a gracious and a generous father who loves to bless his children, right? If you're a father who delights to see your children's face smile and come alive and, and when you give them something that they desire or something special, right? That joy, that satisfaction in your child as a result of something that you give to them or do for them, that's, that's the heart of God. You are a father made in the image of your heavenly father. And so we we, we mustn't shy away in any way from seeking the blessings that come from God because He is our Father. That's a wonderful privilege privilege of being a part of God's family. And so the psalmist's prayer is simply one of the places in Scripture where God reveals that He delights in blessing His children. And he actually quotes here from the benediction that God commanded Moses to have Aaron pray and say over Israel, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. So God tells Moses, why? Why do I want you to have this blessing be said over my people. He says, so they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I then will bless them. See, this sheds light on those blessings. They're they're rooted in His gracious character. They're, They're not earned. 
They're, they're given. They're given as a gift, which is reflected, reflected here in the psalmist's appeal. God, be gracious to us. Cause His face to shine upon us. See, He desires the favor of God's smile to, to fill His life like light from the sun. And, and the point of, of God commanding the high priest to speak this benediction, it was really to remind Israel that that they were God's people and therefore they were greatly blessed. And for anyone who has repented, who has believed on Christ, you know, you know you have been greatly blessed already. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Peter concurs with this in 2 Peter 1.3. He says, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. So as blessed as the nation of Israel was, it's nothing compared to how blessed we are in Christ. Through Him, God blesses us in every way that we need in this life so that we can live with joyful purpose and happiness under His banner of love. Now, if you were here this morning, if you're here this morning and and you know that you are still someone who is considering who Christ is, considering what he's done, we're absolutely glad that you're here. Our hope is that you see that God delights to bless because that is certainly true, but more significantly, that God delights to save. The way He loves to bless is by saving. See, if God blessed you in every way, but with salvation, you would regret it for all eternity. Your life may be filled with wonderful things here, beautiful homes, beautiful cars, plenty of rich food, big vacations, and on and on, right? But that ends when you die. And then from that point on and forever your life would be filled with misery and regret. So if God were to bless you in every way but salvation, you would regret it for all eternity. Conversely, if God withheld every blessing from you except salvation, you would be forever grateful for His kindness. In fact, you could use this psalm as a guide to ask God for the blessing that you need most. Your prayer could be, God... Be gracious to me and save me. Now, why would you ask God to do this? Well, you would ask God because you need to be saved. You need to be saved from the consequences of your sin. The Bible is very clear about this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all lawbreakers. We've not just broken the laws of the land, but God's law. We're sinners by nature. It comes naturally to us. Any parent knows this who has had the chance to hold that cute little baby who demands at certain times that you will pick me up or I will punish you. I will punish you in all my limited abilities. I will cry until you come and get me. And I will not let up until I exhaust myself and fall asleep. And that's what we count on. (laughs) Have you ever noticed, you know, I mean, just think about this. God has made the cry of a baby such that to resist it is painful in and of itself. You are compelled to go and pick that creature up. 
and it takes sheer will and determination to know that they need to cry, and you're holding your wife back. He needs to cry. He needs to cry. But that cry, you know it. There's a demand in there. And that demand is born of the sinful nature of what that child has from conception. The wages that we earn for our sin is death. The death that is in view, it's more than just physical. We're all going to die. But this is, this is a spiritual death. This is eternal condemnation for the one you have rebelled against is an eternal, almighty God. And so the one that you're asking to save you is the one you're guilty of rebelling against. So how do you come? Well, you come humbly. You come confessing your sin. You, you come empty-handed. You have nothing to offer God. Your good works, your deeds, they gain you no merit with Him. Ephesians 2.8 says it's by grace that you've been saved. And that is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. See, God saves those who fully trust in the Savior that He sent to rescue sinners. He wouldn't have sent His Son if we didn't need rescuing. His very own Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God says that He delights over all those whom he saves. Micah 7 says, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. And the word there is mercy. He delights in mercy. And the Father's joy, it reverberates throughout all of heaven. Jesus is the one who says that, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, God delights to show mercy to those who realize that without mercy, they're doomed. God is a gracious God. He delights to bless those who are His own and to save those who ask for His mercy. And so together we can praise God that He invites us to seek the blessings that He has for us in Christ. But notice that we're not just to seek blessings for ourselves, but we are secondly to pray for the conversion of the nations. So God is inviting you. He's inviting you to pray for your needs. But He's asking you. No, He's not asking you. He's telling you. Think beyond your own needs. Think beyond the needs of your family. And think to the needs of the families of all the nations of the earth. How does God desire us to pray for the nations? Well, I can see three broad categories of praying for the nations. Beginning in verse 2 all the way down to the rest of the psalm. First, we should pray for the revelation of God to go forth to the nations. Pray the revelation of God would go forth to the nations. Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth, 
your salvation among all the peoples. So God has made himself evident to all people through creation, within the people, within us, through our consciences. And while these bear witness of God's existence in a general and limited way, it's through his word and through his living word, the person of Jesus Christ, that God reveals himself personally and fully. So the Bible is God's word that sufficiently and inerrantly reveals God and his purposes throughout history. So from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture is God's spirit-directed revelation of himself that we can read about him and we can understand who he is. And it is the Scriptures that reveal to us who Jesus is. It's from the Bible that we learn that Jesus is the living, breathing, flesh and blood, human presentation of God. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But even though God has revealed Himself in these ways, can you see here that the psalmist is implying something in his request? Namely, that man cannot know God on his own. The Bible depicts the heart of man as, as being evil, unclean, deceitful, desperately wicked. It says the mind of man is depraved and fleshly and futile, blinded to God's glory. And as a result, it says that the one who does not have the Spirit of God does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Isn't that just a good summary of what we encounter when we speak about God or give reference to God in the world or when you're sitting in a classroom at college and they're talking about God from up there on high and they're telling you how foolish it is to believe in Him? Of course it's foolish to them. They don't have God's Spirit opening their eyes to see these things. And so for this reason, the psalmist prays, the way he does for them. And he prays in two ways regarding the revelation of God. He prays that they would know the way of God and that they would receive the salvation of God. First, he says that your way may be known on the earth. So the nations of the earth, they're filled with people who don't know the way of God. In the futility and the wickedness of their minds, they attribute to God many False and ugly lies and half-truths. Many of those were learned in their own homes and in their own churches by people who said they knew God and then treated them poorly and taught them poorly and gave them poor examples or something bad happened to them and then they attribute it to God and God sits by and watches all this. He says, you don't know me. You don't know my way. They say God doesn't exist. They say God's a fairy tale. The Old Testament God, oh, he's not the New Testament God. The Old Testament God is wrath. The New Testament God is love. And God doesn't care about your happiness. God's fine with you rejecting him. You don't need God. There's many ways to God. You can be a God. God isn't good because he allowed bad things to happen to me. There's no way he's good. These are just, this is a chorus of, of, of the earth that doesn't know the way of God. But God's way, it's, it's a way of truth and righteousness 
and joy and forgiveness and mercy and grace and love. This is the way of God that the psalmist desires the nations to know. He also prays, secondly, that your salvation among all the nations might be known. How beautiful is the way that God has provided for sinners to come to Him. He could just end you. He could end you at any point in time and He'd be perfectly just. You've sinned against Him. But He has provided a way instead for sinners like you and me to come to Him through the perfect life and the sacrificial death of His Son. And when Thomas, one of his disciples, admitted he didn't, he didn't know where Jesus was going, I don't, and we don't know the way to get to where we don't even know you're going, we don't know how to get there, Jesus told him these precious words. He said, I am the way, Thomas. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, the way of God, the way to God, they're found perfectly provided freely in Jesus Christ. And through Him you can know the saving power of God and the goodness of God. And God has graciously revealed these glorious truths about Himself. He's made them available to all mankind. How? Through preachers, evangelists, missionaries, and through everyday Christians just like you and me as they preach the gospel publicly, as they share it personally, as they get into His Word and open, encourage them to read from the Scriptures themselves, that God must work upon the hearts and the minds of sinners. And therefore, it should be our prayer that the revelation of God about His way and about His salvation, that it would go forth, and it would go forth to the nations. Now next, the psalmist shows us the goal of God's revelation. The goal of God's revelation to the nations is the worship of God throughout the nations. His prayer for the nations is, secondly, that the worship of God would resound in the nations. The worship of God would resound in the nations. And can, can you see, as you look here, I want you to see that this is his ultimate desire. He says, I I want your, the psalmist is saying, I want your way of salvation known amongst the nations, God, so that, as he says in verse 3 here, your praises would resound from people in every nation of the earth. He says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Right? He says, I want your way known. I want your salvation known so that the peoples will praise you amongst all the nations. See, that is what God is worthy of. He's worthy of voices of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation being lifted up in praise to God. And this tells us what missions is really about. It is about people hearing the gospel in their country and being saved. Yes, it is about that. But that's not the ultimate reason. That's not the end goal. The end goal is that those who are saved by His mercy through the gospel, that they would join in with the saints of all ages and they would praise God for His mercy and for His grace. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he famously has said this. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. 
Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. End quote. See, the passion of the psalmist for the worship of God through missions, it must be our passion also. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 3. He says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And he repeats it, though, again, if you notice, down in verse 5. He says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is in call in, in when you're learning about Scripture and the ways of Hebrew poetry and all this. It's called an inclusio. An inclusio. It's a, it's a literary device where, he, where the, the writer uses repetition in order to bring our attention between these two repeating phrases to what's inside, like two bookends. Jesus explained to a woman, as we read in John chapter 4, that the worship of God, that God desires it should be in spirit and in truth. And in this little psalm here, using this device of an inclusio, God is showing us what our worship of God should consist of. Worship is a, a, it's a wholehearted response in our spirit to the truth of who God is. And there are two truths about God that will cause people of every nation to lift their voices in praise. And that's the justice of God and the sovereignty of God. So first, he calls the nations here in Psalm 67 to rejoice in the justice of God. He says in verse 4, right? This is what's in between verses 3 and 5. This is the focus of what he's saying. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with a brightness. The nations can rejoice that God will ensure that justice will indeed prevail. They can be absolutely certain that all wrongs will be made right. No evil will go unpunished. Psalm 89.14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. He says, says, don't look around you. Don't look around you for the solutions to the problems that sin has brought into this world. They're going to fail. Men are going to do their best. They're going to try to stop crime and hatred and violence and murder. They're going to fail. It's going to be insufficient. But God has dealt with the injustice of all sin at the cross. It was there that God made a way for justice to be done while still offering mercy to sinners. It was at the cross where He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That's the justice of God. It was poured out upon the sinless one. Everything that we earned, He poured out on the sinless one. All of our sin was poured out on Christ. Christ took your place so that justice could be done. Why? What's the ultimate reason? Well, number one, He vindicated the, 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 the glorious name of Christ, the righteous name of Christ. God is a God of justice, but He's also a God of mercy and love. And he says, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He poured out the just wrath of God upon His Son so that you, through His Son, might receive mercy. You might be made righteous. 
you by faith becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. Doesn't knowing this, doesn't it make you glad? Doesn't it make you want to sing for joy? Don't you want as many voices as possible lifted up with yours in joyful praise to God for His justice and His mercy? See, this is the fuel for missions. That everyone would join in this song, this new song, this glorious song of mercy and grace and love and compassion. And in addition to the justice of God, we also rejoice, he says, in the sovereignty of God. He says, let the nations be glad, let them sing for joy, for you will guide the nations of the earth. That's the rest of verse 4. You will judge the peoples with a brightness and guide the nations of the earth. See, if you pay attention to world events, if your focus is on all that you can read about on the Internet and all that you can watch on the, on the news, then you're going to become fearful and you're going to become discouraged. The only way to prevent that, I'm not saying dig a hole and stick your head in. I'm not saying that. Here's how you reprint, here's how you prevent the fear and the discouragement that comes from putting most, if not all, of your attention on the world's events. Here's how you prevent it. You remember what God tells us in Psalm 22. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. God has absolute power. And therefore no one, that includes whether we're talking about demons and humans who choose to violate his moral will, it doesn't matter who we're talking about. No one can thwart his ultimate purpose. Paul wrote in, in Ephesians 1.11, he said, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose. And then he describes God as the one who works all things after the counsel of his will. He works some things after the counsel. Most things after the... No, all things. God has perfect sovereign control over everything and everyone at all times. No one overrules, no one overpowers, and uh, no one outmaneuvers him. Everything that happens, it does so exactly as he desires in order to accomplish his good purposes, not just in your life, but also in every believer's life, in every nation of the world. And that thought should just get your little phone out and do the little mind-blown emoji. That's, that's what we should feel at this moment. And that should fuel your praise. And that should fuel your desire for missions. He is sovereign. And only because He is sovereign can He promise to each one of us here each believer in California, each believer in the United States of America, and every believer of every nation that He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It's nothing for God to do this. Nothing. He's not struggling to figure out how to keep this promise to you and every other child of God in the world right now. And that should fill your mouth with praises to your God. It should fill your heart with the desire to hear God's praise resound to the nations. This is our God. This is the one we get to tell people about, urge people to trust in, so that they will praise Him along with you, that He can do this 
in our life. Doesn't that help? Doesn't that give you perspective on whatever it is you're struggling with right now? Doesn't mean you have to enjoy the pain or the frustration or the fear or things like that. It's saying, child, child, your heavenly father is over this with promises to make you see the good in this. Doesn't mean that what's happening to you is good. It's that he can cause it to work for good. He's not limited by evil. He's over and above it. He's sovereign over everything. So he can give this promise to you and to you and to you. And we could just keep pointing until we get to the ends of the earth. Now, the final way the psalmist prays is that the fear of God would spread throughout the nations. He says in verses 5 to 7, he says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Now, how do the blessings of God lead to the fear of God? Well, all the blessings you need, which include, kind of as he's referencing here, we could say the food that you need to come out of the ground to live, the produce of the earth, it comes from God who blesses sinners. How foolishly ungrateful can someone be to take the name of the one who blesses them in vain? How foolishly prideful can someone be to go on mocking the God from whom no one can hide and who promises that you will give an account to him of every deed and every careless word? See, only fools, only fools don't fear God. Fear of God truly is the beginning of wisdom. And that wisdom begins with a good and healthy fear of God who will lead you to see that He is also the place of refuge, safety, help, and hope. Psalm 46 just puts this before us beautifully. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, right, because of who God is, Notice the trouble is still there. But because of who God is, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, and, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters rage, roar and foam, though the mountains should quake at its swelling pride because of who our God is, we have a place of refuge, strength, help, hope, Whatever you need. When you, when, when you can fear the same God whose strength shelters you, well, now you have reason to rejoice. Right? You have not only become wise, you fear Him, but you have found true refuge and strength to weather any storm that this, this life brings your way. Think of the kindness of God in making us former fools to see the wisdom of fearing Him. Right? That is what we're praying is going to happen throughout the nations. That the fear of God would spread further and farther. And so the psalmist now has brought the blessings of a gracious God for him. He's, he's sought it for himself. And then he prayed for the conversion of the nations. He's asking that the revelation of this gracious God, that it would go forth. Praise for His justice and sovereignty. It would resound. The fear of Him would then spread abroad. And see, we are to do the same. We are to seek the blessings of God in Christ. We are to pray for the conversion of the nations. But the picture of the psalm, though, is not complete. It's not complete. 
There's one last detail about this psalm that reveals the missionary zeal of the psalmist's heart that he desires for his fellow Israelites. There's an underlying selflessness and willingness to what he's asking of God here. And this is the context that we need to understand verse 1. He seeks God's blessings, but not for himself only. He prays for the conversion of the nations, but with a genuine willingness to be part of the answer that God would give. And this is the key application for us from this song. Desire God to glorify His name through you. Desire God to glorify His name through you. Verse 1, once again, speaking on behalf of Himself and His people, He prays, God, be gracious to us and bless us. Cause His face to shine upon us. But He doesn't desire the blessings for His own comforts and for His own pleasures only. He's saying, God, be gracious and bless us. And then continue on. Verse 2. That your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all nations. See, God, your way and your salvation, it must go forth to the nations so that they will join with me in praising you. And Lord, would you include me in this? Please glorify your name amongst the nations through me. See, this is the zealous and willing heart for God's glory that fuels global missions. And this is the desire that God's people should have. It's to see His name glorified amongst the nations. And if that is not your desire, then I would urge you to begin by asking God to give you such a zeal for His name. Ask God to give you such a zeal for His name. And then ask God to show you how He can use you Now, most of us are going to be on the sending and the supporting side of those who have been sent. And you're going to do this through consistent giving to missions. Like the psalmist, you're going to pray for God to to bless you so that through you, the nations can know His way and His salvation. God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. Show God, show God, Christian, that you are someone That He can send His blessings not just to, but through. That's what you want to be. Someone who God can bless others through you. You're also going to do this as you build relationship with those who have been sent. And you're going to pray for their needs. And this is something that we hope to bring about more readily through our home fellowship group ministries this year. Those sent, yes, they need your financial support, but they also need your spiritual friendship and encouragement. But maybe God will show you that He desires God to glorify His name through you by you going yourself. You can go yourself to the nations. We want to be a church that sends people out to the nations. We want God to give our church opportunities to do this, whether it's in the short term, but that we can also send those who want to go abroad and make His way and mercy known to the nations over the long term. We want to be a church God can trust to train His people, to equip them, and then to send them to the nations. And that may be you. One of you sitting here this morning 
hearing this may say, God, is that me? I can't even picture it. I can't even imagine it. But if it's me, I know you know how to get me there. Not only in my heart, but physically with my body. You make the way. I just want to be one who's willing to be blessed by you so that I can bless others. See, it all begins with a zeal for God's glory. A zeal for God's glory is going to shape how you pray and participate in missions. That's really the overarching point of all we've heard this morning. A zeal for God's glory will shape how you pray for and participate in missions. So seek the blessings of God in Christ. Pray for the conversion of the nations and desire that in missions, God would glorify His name through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what seems impossible to us is possible with you. And that impossible may begin with just, I I can't even imagine doing that, God. I can't imagine wanting to do that. I like my home. I like my bed. I like, I like all the comforts of living in the United States and in California. And to think I would give any of that up to go somewhere else is beyond what I can even conceive. But Lord, that's what happens when you get a hold of our hearts. You take us places we never thought we'd go. You use us in ways we never thought were possible. And so, Lord, may you grip all of our hearts with a zeal for the glory of your name. Let it begin there. And then take us wherever you would want us to go. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.